listening as we prepare to hear God's word this morning. Our first reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 17, the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Many of you know the story of Adam and Eve. You've heard it from childhood. Uh, But we're going to be looking closely at Genesis 3 throughout the season of Lent, all the way up till Palm Sunday. And I encourage you to go back and read all of Genesis 3 uh, together, all at once, uh, so that you have some sense of the story uh, freshened up for you a little bit uh, as we read. We're actually going to read some portions before verse, verse 17. Hear this word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit And ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then both of them, their eyes were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then skipping down to verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we, your people, desperately need your word. We need it written on our minds. We need it written on our hearts. We need it to be evident in our lives. So we pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit that recorded these words and has passed them on to us, would be present with us and that you would help us to learn and grow, even be recreated by your word today. As we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Word made flesh. Amen. We are going to read Romans 8, but I'm going to hold it for a little bit this morning. When I was in high school, one of my good friends, his name is Josh Poor. He's actually a music minister now, but we loved to argue about theology. I told you about one of my other friends. I love to argue about theology. But one day he was challenging me. He grew up Baptist and I'm Methodist. And he said, how many people have you shared the gospel with, Chad? And I thought... You know, I'm not even sure I know exactly where to start. And I talked to David Carroll about it, and he was ashamed. 
that I, one of his youth, did not know where to start in talking about the gospel. And we talked about it on Wednesday nights a while back, but the real question of the gospel is, what do we need Jesus for? Why do we need Jesus? And the truth of the gospel can be told in a lot of different ways, but the basics of it for the way I want us to be thinking about the gospel over the next few weeks in Lent is that God in the person of Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to himself and you're invited. God in the person of Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to himself and you're invited. But that raises a question for us of how we got here. How did we get into a place where God needed to be reconciled to all things? How did we get to a place where the world is as broken as it is? And today I'm going to preach in primarily three points. I don't always give you my points on the front end, but today I want to make sure you know what's going on. First, we're going to talk about the creative power of the Word of God, how God makes the world by His very speech. And then we're going to ask the question, what happens when something or someone pulls at the very threads of the fabric of the universe, and then how can it be recovered? So first, the creative power of the Word of God. We didn't read Genesis 1 and 2 today, but to understand Genesis 3, you've got to know what's going on there. And the main thing I want you to know about Genesis 1 is the refrain in all of God's speech. Every day of creation, God says, let there be. And then he says something that he wants to make, and then it existed, there it was, and it was good. Let there be, it was, and it was good. On the first day, this happens with light. Let there be light, there was light, and it was good. On the second day, the Lord separates the lower waters from the upper waters by creating a dome in the sky. And he says it's good. On the third day, he separates the water from the land. And he creates all of the vegetation that fills up the earth. All of the grass and trees and bushes. Every green thing, everything that you can imagine, God creates all of that on the third day. Simply by the speech of the Lord, it is made. On the third day, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Sorry, that's the fourth day. Uh, The sun and the moon and the stars he creates. On the fifth day, he makes everything that flies through the air, all of the birds, and everything that swims in the water, all of the fish. On the sixth day, he creates everything that lives on the earth, all of the mammals, all of the reptiles, and then he stops with humanity. Each time he makes these things, he does it by his speech, by the word of God, the world, and all that fills it is created. He says, let there be, it comes into existence, and it's good. And at the sixth day, he looks at everything, including humanity, and he says it is all very good. In Genesis 2, God rests and sets aside the Sabbath, sanctifies it as holy, and he describes, and then it describes humanity's position in the created order in a different recount of the creation. Specifically, we read what God tells Adam, what he can eat and what he can't. All of the garden is teeming with life and good things to eat. And he says, you can eat any of it except for the fruit of the tree at the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that 
if you do, you will die. As we move into Genesis 3, we see that something happens that fundamentally shifts the order of creation. That the shortfall of Adam and Eve creates unintended results simply because they disobey the word of God. When I was eight or nine, I was at my grandparents' house. We were in Aberdeen for a a father-son golf tournament. It was very exciting. My brother and I wanted to hit golf balls to warm up before we played on Saturday. And my dad said, you can hit all the plastic golf balls you want, but don't hit any real golf balls. You'll break something. So for a while, my brother and I were satisfied with the plastic golf balls. We were hitting them pretty well. And my brother said, Chad, you can hit a real one. You're hitting them real well. It'll be fun to hit a real one. And I did, and it was the prettiest hook you ever saw right into my grandparents' living room. One ball. It was only one. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to confess. So I go inside, and Grandma is happily ironing at her ironing board. I go into the living room, and Grandpa has not been disturbed from his nap. His ears were beginning to fail a little bit, and he did not hear the glass break. So I went and got the golf ball, and I went and got Grandma, and I told her what I had done. My dad found out, and I had to save my allowance and pay for the window, right? Everything was going fine while I was following the rules, and then my pesky brother, Chad, just this once, that it'll be fine, nobody will know. No big deal. You think he helped me pay for that window? No, he did not. The, and my brother is not the devil, by the way. <laughs> or the serpent. The universe, everything that exists, is made by God by the very speech of God. And it is good. So what happens to the universe when creatures who are made by the speech of God in the image of God violate what God has asked us to do? What does it do to the world for those of us who are made by God's speech to disobey God's speech? And the way I want to help you imagine that is that it it is a pull at the very fabric of the universe. It takes what existed as good and very good, and it distorts it into something else entirely. There is still goodness in the world that we can see, but we also see the ways that it is deformed or malformed or reoriented in ways that God never intended it to be. All because Adam and Eve, and we would have done the same thing, listened to the words of the serpent more strongly than they listened to the words of God. The serpent said, did God really say that you can't eat of the trees? And Eve said, no, 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 we can eat of most of the trees, but not the one. And then the serpent says, well, if you eat of it, you, you won't surely die. And it turns out that he's both right and wrong, as these lies that the serpent often tells are live somewhere in between. They don't eat of the fruit and die right away but it introduces all kinds of pain and unintended consequences into the world. If you've ever got a shirt or a pair of pants or a rug that has one thread sticking out, you pull the thread? No, you don't pull the thread. You cut it because 
you will make it worse as you pull, right? The thread comes up. Did God really mean what he said? And they start pulling on it. And the consequences echo through that simple decision even until now. This happens in our world all the time. We attempt to fix one problem and we create another one, not just with threads, but in all kinds of ways. Several, uh, about a decade ago now, there was a huge movement called Nothing But Nets to solve malaria in Africa. They were going to provide a malaria net for everyone in Africa. And they did. They, they bought a ton of American-made or otherwise-made malaria nets. They shipped them to Africa. People had malaria nets for three years. Then the, uh, the chemicals on them began to wear out, and you need more. And it turned out that all of the malaria net manufacturers in Africa had been put out of business by the glut of nets that had come in from other places in the world. We had tried to do something good, but it ended up having bad consequences. We tried to do something, and it carried consequences far beyond what we expected. So now we've adjusted how we try to address malaria in places like Africa and other places in the world. But this action that Adam and Eve have is not only unintended consequences, but it creates a multiple systems kind of failure in the world. Things start to work differently than they were intended, and sometimes against one another. We see this happen sometimes when people are ill and in the hospital and they've got multiple health problems that are working against one another and to treat one would mean to make the other worse and to treat the other would mean to make the former worse. So we just live in kind of a crisis moment. Maybe the easiest place to see it is in like a nuclear meltdown where one thing goes wrong and that continues to expand and expand. Something that was intended to be good, a nuclear power plant to keep the lights on and everything else. One thing goes wrong, and all of a sudden something that was functional and harnessed and good becomes something terribly destructive. Something that was good gets reoriented into something destructive. And I think this is what happens with Adam and Eve. That they think all they're doing is eating one fruit from the tree. It won't be that big of a deal. They're not surely going to die. But what they do as creatures made by the word of God, in the image of God, instructed by the word of God, and then listening to the words of another creature, that pulls apart the very fabric of the universe and leads to multiple systems failure and a kind of nuclear meltdown. And we sit at ground zero of the breakdown. For humans who live in the world after Adam and Eve made the mistake, and again, all of us would have been inclined in the same way. Our relationships are broken up and down and across and inside. And these directions are what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. We're going to look at these things more specifically. But our relationship with God is severed. Adam and Eve had a perfect communion with God. They walked with God in the garden every evening, and now all of a sudden they are hiding from the Lord of the universe because they're ashamed. Their relationship with God has been broken and frayed. Their relationship with creation itself is frayed. The thorns and thistles are going to come up from the ground, and Adam is going to have to work for his food, and childbirth is going to be difficult. 
their relationship with one another, the only two humans on earth at this point, is breaking down. He's going to rule over her rather than them to operate as peers together. And even inside, with their own souls, they are ashamed. Before they were naked and unafraid, and now they are covering themselves up feebly with fig leaves, trying to hide even from themselves the horror that they feel. So if you've pulled at the thread of the fabric of the universe and it has unraveled things, how can you fix it? How do you piece that back together? What do you do to make that right again? You can't just patch it up. We can't fix what is going on. We as God's creatures made by the word of God have violated the word of God. And we ourselves can't fix it. So what do we do? What we do is we wait on the Lord. And Jesus, the very Son of God, the Word of God, becomes flesh and dwells among us. God in Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to himself, and it starts in the very body of Jesus. The heavenly, eternal Son of the Father, co-equal in majesty, power, glory, beauty, and love, the very word of God that has created the world, the light of the world, takes on flesh and lives in our midst. In his body, he unites divine and human realities. He's fully human and fully divine. He's bringing together the earthly and the heavenly, the mortal and the immortal in his body. And he begins his work as the word of God who has created the world to restore the world that he's made. He speaks the Father's words to the world. He heals every malady, spiritual and physical, by simply offering his touch and his presence. He raises people from the dead. He is the walking, talking embodiment of the word of God, the curse working in reverse. Jesus' body is the place where God's will begins to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it turns out that sewing the world back together is going to require him to be torn apart. By his stripes, we are healed to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the word of God following the commands of God in a world that's been ripped apart by sin and humanity sitting at ground zero of the destruction and he lets himself be torn apart for the healing of the nations. But it turns out that his nature cannot be finally torn apart, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It turns out that the word of the Lord will truly stand forever. And that means that Jesus cannot simply stay in his grave. That means that the power of God is going to be made known in the resurrection of Jesus, that in humanity... Jesus, the new Adam, is restoring all things into himself to create a world where there is no sin, where there are no broken relationships with other people, where we are reconciled to God, where the world does not leave us in a state of tears, where there is no death, where peace reigns. So having said all of that, I want to read for you now Romans 8, verses 18 through 28. I invite you to hear this word. I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the world that was made truly good and has been pulled apart and all of the pain that we see in the world, Paul says, is not pain that ultimately leads to death and despair. It is just birth pangs. It is just the same kind of pangs that Eve experienced as a result of the curse right before she birthed the first humans ever to be born. The pains that we feel Death and sin and illness and broken relationships and all of it, these pains are pointing us towards a new kind of reality. They are birth pangs as we move out of a place where we have to hope for a better world and into the reality of that world itself. As Christians, we get to live into this already in the present in all kinds of ways, but nowhere more clearly than when we gather at the table for communion. At the table in communion, we see the curse working in reverse. Rather than creation producing thorns and thistles, we take simple things like grain and grapes, and they become for us the body and blood of Christ, the very presence of him with us. We are bound together as members of Christ So our relationships with one another are beginning to be reconciled as we confess our sin and as we offer peace to one another and as we eat of the same loaf and drink from the same cup. Inside, we hear the words of assurance and forgiveness that we no longer need to feel shame for our sin because it has been pushed as far from us as the east is from the west. And we are reconciled to God who has given us his life so that we might live. In communion, we come to experience and know for a brief moment, a tiny taste, the world that is coming by the power of Jesus. Not the world that is broken because we listen to words other than God, but the world that the word of God is recreating for us and for all of creation. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that it is the word of God for us, the people of God. We pray, Lord, that we would know what restorative power it has for us as individuals, for our souls. 
what power it has for the church as you unite us together as your people, what power it has for the whole world as we proclaim that this world is not as it should be, but you are making all things well. We pray, Lord, that we would reckon with the curse in this season of Lent, that we would reckon with our own shortcomings, that we would reckon with the fact that we are inclined towards sin and that continually apart from your grace. And yet by your grace, you are creating a new reality through Jesus for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Our first action of response today to the word that we've heard is to stand and sing just as I am. Uh, We'll sing verses 1, 2, 5, and 6 this morning. Number 357.